We're continuing on with the book of Galatians. Pastor Sam, the last couple weeks, has been in the book of Galatians. And we're going to be covering, um, highlighting. We're not going to do a word-by-word exergesis there. We're just going to go and hit some highlights in Galatians 3 and 4. So if you want to turn to Galatians 3 there, just to make sure I'm not making any of this stuff up, it will be there. All right? And as Pastor Sam talked about last week, the story of Galatians is a group of people who had received the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that, that the blood of Jesus paid for our sins and that's all it takes. And now they've moved into where they're thinking they have to do something to continue to receive this blessing of God and this blessing of salvation. So, um, if you read Galatians 3 verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, most of you know that for the last half century, I have been the youth pastor here at the church and, and have just turned that over. So, sometimes this stuff still kind of rolls. Now, I believe that if, uh, if Paul was writing this today, he would be writing to a much different people and he would, be not, he would not be saying, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But he would be saying, Why are you tripping? Right? Why are you tripping? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, that word foolish, the Greek word there translated foolish could also be translated unintelligent. Paul did not mix words. You're, he, he was pretty right up front with the things that he was saying, right? Now, how would you like it if you got a letter from the preacher who had been here a few months before and right in the middle of this letter it says, you are unintelligent. <laughs> you are unintelligent. You are unwise. That's another word that, that it could be translated at. But I was surprised to see that that word can also be translated as sensual. Not necessarily in a, in a sexual way, but sensual as if living by the senses. Living by what we feel. Living by what we think sounds good or feels good. So as you're looking at the church here in Galatia... And Paul spends time talking to them about how. How could you so quickly have retreated from the word of God that was brought to you. That brought this salvation. That set you free from all these rules and regulations. How could you so quickly fall back into. Wanting to live a life that is so dominated by just rules and regulations. And it's easy for us to sit there and look at that and go, what is wrong with those people? Right? 
It's easy when we're looking at the stories on the backside. It's easy to say, why wouldn't anybody run out there and face that giant that David faced? Why wouldn't anybody believe God have to go marching around in the, the desert for 40 years? Why wouldn't anybody? But guess what? If we had been there, what would we have done? A lot of the same stuff, right? Because the enemy comes in and he begins to sow little things into our ear. He begins to say little things to us. And we begin to believe these, these little lies... Just like they did in Galatia. When somebody came in and said, No, you still need to follow the Mosaic law. You still need to follow all these rules and regulations to be saved. And yes, the blood of Jesus is good. And Jesus died. But you still have to do all of these things. Do we do that sometimes? Do we truly live in the fact that salvation is free? That there is nothing that you have to do or can do to make yourself more acceptable to God? See, we get the cart before the horse. We say, if I do these things, God will love me. Love me, God, because I need loving. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I say, I am un unlovely. God, I need you to love me. So I'm going to do these things so you will love me. When the way that it's supposed to be is because God has so filled me with His love that these things just naturally begin to happen. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't witness. I don't do these things that, that godly people do. To make God approve of me. It's because He's already approved of me. Because He already loves me. And I'm receiving that love. Man, I want to get in the Word because I want to know this God that loves me. Man, I want to pray because I want that intimacy with God. I witness because i got to tell people about this Jesus that changed my life. You see the difference in the motivation there? Well, somebody had come into Galatia and told them, you got to put the cart in front of the horse. You can't have the horse pulling the cart. You've got to put the cart in front of the horse. Now, we think that's stupid, don't we? And that's the reason Paul is going, uh, why are you tripping? What's going on here? Well, I'm going to tell you what was going on there. Is that what had come in was a religious spirit. What is a religious spirit? A re now the word religious spirit is not in the Bible. I don't want anybody, you know, doing a search for it right now. Where is that? It's, 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 a, it's a name that we've given to something, okay? To describe something. Just like the word Trinity and the word rapture is not in the Bible either. But we know what we're talking about when we say it, right? So I'm using the term religious spirit. Oh, we did find it. There we go. The Galatians had been sub had subjected and submitted to a religious spirit, which is a demonic influence that seeks to cause us to substitute religious activity 
for the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3, 5 says, Avoid people who appear godly by what they do, but deny the power of the gospel. You can look good on the outside and there never be a change on the inside and God wants to change the inside so when you see it on the outside there truly is a difference. Because when He has changed me on the inside when He has come in Hannah this morning was, was speaking to the youth and, and she was talking about how God had come and breathed life into Adam. If God has not breathed life into you all you had was a religious experience and there's not any real life. There has not been any real change. Does that make sense? So this religious spirit comes along and tries to tell you, well, you need to do these things to be pleasing to God instead of being changed by God. And as we're changed... We'll do the works of God because the power of the Holy Spirit will be seen in us and moving through us. The power of redemption. This is just looking at kind of contrasting. The power of redemption versus the weakness of the law. The power of freedom versus the weakness of of willpower. Have you ever been in willpower? I'm in willpower. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I am in willpower. Right? And if willpower works, man, I'm proud of myself. Right? But willpower for most of us works for about two weeks. Right? I'm going to get up and I'm going to work out for three hours every day. And I'm going to jog five miles. I know you've heard this story before, but, but it, it's... When I, when I first went off to Bible school, and I had this willpower to do... Because I was thinking I needed to do things. Because if I'm going to be a preacher... I got saved when I was in college, and I left and went to a Bible school because I felt the, the call of the Lord to, to ministry. And well, i got to look like a minister, and i got to act like a minister. So, But I don't have anybody just asking me to preach, so... Lord, I gotta witness, I gotta win somebody to the Lord every day. And that can be a calling, okay? That can be a calling. I'm not putting that down. But in me, I was thinking, I gotta do these things so everybody will know who I am. Lasted two days. <laughs> two days. I didn't get anybody saved, but I annoyed a lot of people. That's the difference between freedom and the weakness of willpower. The power of love. If anybody thought of Huey Lewis or Back to the Future. The power of love versus the weakness of pride. Now listen to me. The weakness of pride is the power of the religious spirit. This is how the religious spirit comes in and hooks us. is through pride. Matthew 16, 6 says, And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
Now, who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They were the most religious people in all of Israel, right? They fasted. Is fasting good? Yes. They prayed. Is praying good? Yes. They memorized Scripture. Is that good? Yes. In fact, they were so, so excited about the Scripture, they'd put it in little boxes and strap it to their forehead. They did all of these good things. Jesus even calls them out one time and says, You tithe on even the herbs in your garden, the smallest of the small. You tithe off of all that, but you forget about the truth of love. So here come the Pharisees. They know the Word. They know the Scriptures. They've been praying. They've been fasting. They've probably even been saying, Lord, send the Messiah. We're praying for the Messiah. But when the Messiah was even there, when the Word was in their midst, they didn't know Him. Why? Cart before the horse. They were doing religious activities without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to be there. Okay, y'all keep laughing, so I don't know what's going on behind me. So. He's putting up pictures of me behind me, isn't he? So Jesus said, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is leaven? It's yeast. What is yeast good for? Puffs things up. Does it not? It has no nutritional value. Nobody runs around saying, my, my yeast levels are low. <laughs> right? It doesn't do anything but puff up. So what Jesus was saying was, watch out. Watch out for the religious spirit. Watch out for just these religious activities that, that are not empowered and led by the Holy Spirit because all they're going to do is puff you up. Puff you up in pride. Now, our religious spirit convinces us that we are doing things for God all the while it's puffing us up with pride. It also keeps us from hearing God's voice. Listen. It keeps us from hearing God's voice by convincing us we already know His opinion. Man, I don't have to fast and pray over this. I know what God will say. Really? Really? And a religious spirit pushes us to seek God's approval through works, but not the cross. Because the only place you're going to find approval with God is through the cross. The only place you're going to find approval with God is through the cross. Amen. Right. Romans 10.2 says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. Not according to truth. It's not based on what God is building. What God is doing. And sometimes we all fall into this. I'm not up here trying to point any fingers at anybody. Or going, you know, there's something wrong with you. Because I want to just run down a list of seven warning signs of a religious spirit. Now, there are many, many signs. These are just the ones that I thought y'all were dealing with. So I thought I would just put it out here. 
So, let's look at some of these. Some of these I got, if, if you want to read a great little book, I mean, I, it is a booklet. It may be, it's less than 50 pages, I think. It's called The Religious Spirit. It is by Rick Joyner. You can get it online from Morningstar Ministries. It's a great little book. And he's got like tons of, of, of warning signs. I took a few of these from him and, and, and some of them the Lord just gave me. But let's look at them real quick. And um, just, just, just for the fun of it, I'm going to do this in Jeff Foxworthy style. <laughs> Y'all ever seen Jeff Foxworthy do the You Might Be a Redneck If? Yeah, if you mow your front yard and you find a car, you might be a redneck, right? So, if you see more of what is wrong than what is right with others, with church, or you believe that you've been especially anointed to fix people's problems, you might be dealing with a religious spirit. If you are bossy and overbearing and intolerant of others' weaknesses, you might be dealing with a religious spirit. If you have a sense that you are closer to God than others, and or you are prideful about your spiritual disciplines or accomplishments. You might be dealing with a religious spirit. If you are unable to engage with a church that is not perfect or near perfect, and or you are prone to overreact to other people's sins or failures, you might be dealing with a religious spirit. Hey, let's, let's be honest. There's more sin and junk going on in the church than, than we even know, right? And it's probably going on in us to some degree, right? So a religious spirit is going to push you to judge everybody else. As long as you're looking at, at Matt over here and going, Matt, stand up there and play the guitar. Take your shoes off sometimes. Get down on your face. Yeah, I know about you grass-cutting man. <laughs> he, he works for a lawn care company. So, some people going, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> as long as we're looking at somebody else and going, there is something wrong with them. Right. Then I'm really not saying, God, search me and try me. Amen. Right? As long as the enemy can distract me with a good old Christian judgmental attitude, then I'm missing what the Holy Spirit is really wanting to do in me. If you are pining for the good old days, when God used to move, and you refuse to connect with what God is doing today, you might be dealing with a religious spirit. Now, let me just say, you know, there are some great things that have happened in the past. And if, if you read Paul, you know, every once in a while, he just has to stop and talk about his Damascus Road experience. Right? 
There's nothing with, with telling testimonies and rehearsing what was going on in, in, in the good old days. But when we sit there and go, God just don't move the way that He used to. God is always moving. Amen. God is always moving. And let me, let me just tell you this. The biggest hindrance to the next thing that God wants to do is the people that are doing what God is doing right now. Or I could say it, the biggest hindrance to what God is doing right now is to those that were doing what God was doing in, say, 1950, 1960. Why? Because God just doesn't do it the same way. If God would just do it the same way, God can do it any way He wants to. Amen. Okay? He didn't come and ask us our opinion. Right? If the pillar of cloud has moved, we need to move with Him. You getting this? And last but not least. Well, no, there's two more. If you're thinking of someone else who needs to hear about this. <laughs> and not looking into your own heart. You might be dealing with a religious spirit. And now, last but not least. If you're irritated with me right now, because I'm talking about a religious spirit, and I'm reading this list, I guarantee you you're dealing with a religious spirit. Once again, a religious spirit seeks to cause us to substitute religious activities for the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what was going on in Galatia. And this is what Paul is trying to get them to, to step out of. Now if you'll look over in Galatians 3, we'll going to start in verse 10. And Paul writes, For as many as are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary... He who practices them shall live by them. Now keep your finger in Galatians because we are going to flip back to it. But I want you to turn to it. Deuteronomy. That's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Number five. And for those of you that refuse to turn, it'll be right behind me. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now remember what it said right here. In Galatians, for as many as are of the works of the law. In other words, those of you that are trying to live. Now, he's writing to the church. He's not writing to a bunch of Jewish folks, okay? He is writing to the church at Galatia and he is telling them, you want to live by the law, you're going to be cursed. Okay, we got that, right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we find what, what is called the blessings and the cursings of the law. And we're going to read some of these blessings. And you can follow along to make sure that I'm not uh, making this up, but I skip a bunch of them. So I just wanted you to know where it was. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments. Everybody say all. all. 
He didn't say half of them. He didn't say a quarter of them. He didn't even say 99% of them. Be careful to do all of His commandments, which I command you the, this day. These blessings will come on you and overtake you. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Amen. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your animals. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to do. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will be above only and you will not be underneath. Now there, it's a lot longer than that, but I'm just giving you a flavor. These are the blessings. But the Scripture goes on. The Scripture goes on to say that if you don't obey all of these, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the young of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses of confusion and rebuke. And all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed and until you perish. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until He has consumed you. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew. The Lord has cursed my bathtub. <laughs> the Lord will smite you with boils of Egypt and tumors with the scab and with the itch which cannot be healed. The Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and bewilderment of heart. You will grope at noon as the blind man gropes. Ew, that doesn't sound good, does it? What Paul was saying was, you want to live under the law? This is what you get. That's right. You want to live under the law? This is what you get. And what the enemy is still trying to do is push you to put that cart before the horse so this is what you'll get. The enemy wants you cursed. He wants you cursed. You understand that, right? The enemy wants you cursed, but God wants you blessed. Amen. So we have the blessings and the cursings of the law. Now, turn back to Galatians chapter 3. Those cursings sound horrible, but let me let you in on something. Galatians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen. Boom! Amen. What Jesus did was remove the curse. Why do you want to live under the law? Why do you want to live according to what you can do? Why do you want to live according to what you can make happen? Christ has redeemed the curse of the law. Becoming a curse for us. Becoming a curse for us. He was cursed, so I don't have to be cursed. Amen. He took all the blessings of heaven and he brought them down. He go, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Because guess what? In this new covenant, there is no curse. 
There is no curse. You go back and read the blessings. That's how God wants his people to live. He wants his people to be blessed. He wants his people to be blessed. He wants his people to be blessed. He knew that we couldn't keep the law. He spent 2,000 years proving to everybody, you can't keep the law. I'm going to show you you can't do it. I'm going to show you you can't make it on your own. And then I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to send Jesus. And he's going to fulfill. Jesus said, I did not come to, to set aside the law. I came to fulfill it. And he came and fulfilled everything that we could not fulfill. So we could partake of the blessings. Now let me tell you something even better than that. I know that sounds good. Some of you are sitting and going, Woo, that sounds good. Pastor Chris, that's good. Let me tell you something else. Better than physical blessings. The biggest benefit of grace over the law is in Galatians chapter 4. So jump over. This is the only scripture we're going to talk about in, in chapter 4. I promise you. Because I'm going to be done here real soon. This is the only thing we're going to talk about out of, out of uh, Galatians 4. Better than physical blessings. Better than anything that you could get here on this earth that God does want to bless us with. It says, But when the fullness of time came. The New Living says, But when the right time came. You ever just stop and thank God for the right time? You ever just stop and thank God for the right time? God's never late. The right time. At the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Say, I'm an heir. I'm an, heir. an heir through God. And that's not A-I-R, that's H. Okay? I'm an heir. At just the right time. At just the right time. You, who are in this relationship with Jesus, you were adopted into the family. Let me tell you, adoption changes the family. <laughs> adoption changes the family. For good. Our house is louder, but it's good. Stand up, my adopted daughter, for those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about. And when you're adopted into the family, it changes the family for good. God's not bringing you into the family for anything except your good and the kingdom's good. Each and every one of you, when you come into this love relationship with Jesus Christ, and He sends the Spirit of God screaming into your heart, crying out, Daddy, Papa, Father. Now notice, those are intimate terms, aren't they? Do you think of the Heavenly Father as your Papa? Do you have that intimate relationship with Him? Because that's what He wants. He sent the Spirit of God into you so you could have an intimate relationship with Him. 
and he adopts you in the family for your good yes but for the family's good for the family's good so why do we want to spend all of our lives trying to be approved by God trying to work ourselves up into something that might qualify as good enough for God when God's already said you're my kid I've already adopted you you're already in the family So just come and be a benefit to the family and partake of the benefits of the family. Amen.